Chapter sixty seven of the Maid of Scar. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Maid of Scar by R. D. Blackmore. Chapter sixty seven. Dog eats dog. To a man whose time of life begins to be a subject of some consideration to him, when the few years still in hope can be counted on a hand, and may not need a finger, and with the tide of this world ebbing to the inevitable sea, to him there is scarcely any sweet and gentle pastime, more delightful than to sit on a bank of ancient moss beside a tidal river, and watch the decreasing waters and prove his own eternity by casting a pebble into them hence it was that sir philip bampfylde on the very morning after i gave him back his grandchild sat gazing into the ebb of the taw some fifty yards below the spot whence jack wildman's father carried off so wickedly that helpless pair of children here it was my privilege to come up to sir philip and spread before him my humble reasons for having preferred the kitchen last night to the dining-room and the drawing-room it was consistent with my nature and he though wishing otherwise agreed not to be offended then i asked him how the young lady whose health every one of us had honoured all over the kitchen-table had contrived to pass the night and whether she had seen her father yet he said she had slept pretty well considering but that as concerned her father they had not thought it wise to let her see him until the doctor came there was no telling how it might act upon squire philip's constitution after so many years of misery cobwebs and desolation for providence had not gifted him with a mind so strong as his father's was and the sudden break-in on the death of the mind has been known in such a case to lead to bodily decease but few things vex the general more than that wretched lie of chowns and slander upon a loyal family while in service of the crown what captain drake had landed from the boat was not an armed chest but a chest of plate and linen belonging to his brother which he would no longer borrow while the squire so cruelly dealt with him then i asked sir philip whether the ancient builder over at appledore had been sent for to depose to the boat for we had brought that little craft on the top of our coach from ilfracombe the general said that i might see him even now examining her if i would only take the trouble to look round the corner but he himself was so well convinced without any further testimony that he did not even care to hear what the old man had to say of it any more than he cared for the jemmy set this however is not my manner of regarding questions not from any private fountains of conviction and so on but out of the mouths of many witnesses shall a thing be established therefore i hastened round the corner to sift this ancient boatwright 
as surly a fellow as ever lived and from his repugnance to my uniform one who had made more money i doubt by the smuggler's keg than the shipwright's ads entering into his nature at sight i took the upper hand of him as my rank insisted on hark ye now master ship carpenter where was this little craft put together according to your opinion either this fellow was deaf as a post or else he meant to insult me for he took no more notice of me than he did of the pigs that were snuffling at beech nuts down by the side of the landing-place i am not the right man to put up with insolence therefore i screwed my hammer-head into the socket below my muscles and therewith dealt him a tap on his hat just to show what might come afterwards receiving this administration and seeing that more was very likely from the same source to be available what did this rogue do but endeavour to show the best side of his manners wherefore to let him have his say here is his opinion this here boat be the same as i built year as my wife were took with quinsy and were called home by the lord i built her for wild duck of appledore a little dandy rigged craft as used to be hired by cap'n bampfylde to this here boat i can swear although some big rogue have been at work painting her as knew not how to paint and a lubber no doubt every now and then patching her up or repairing of her the name and her stern have been painted up from wild duck appledore into santa lucia salvador three or four letters are my own the rest are the work of some pirate she be no more foreign built than i be but a sailor accustomed to foreign parts would be sure to reckon so reason why i serve my time with a builder over to port o prince and i should like to see the man anywhere round these here parts as can tuck in the bends as i does leaving this conceited fellow to his narrow unpleasantness i turned my head and there beheld captain bluett hearkening come he cried out in his hearty manner what a cook's boiling of fools we are here we are chewing a long chewed quid while the devil that brewed this gale of wind may fly far away and grin at us llewellyn do you mean to allow hush i said softly for that low shipwright showed his eyes coming up under his cap and i saw that he was that particular villain after his scurrilous words about me who would sell his soul to that wretch of a chown for half a crown a week almost therefore i led our young captain bluett well away out of this fellow's hearing davy said he we all know your courage your readiness and your resources still you appear to be under a spell and you know you are superstitious about this cunning and cowardly blackguard who frightens the whole of this country as he never could frighten glamorganshire i have no fear of him sir i said i will go with you to confront him why your teeth are ready to chatter llewellyn and your lips are blue you who stood like a milestone they tell me at the helm of the goliath or like a clock going steadily tick before we fired a shot and with both shell and shot through your grey whiskers but captain a minister of the lord master a minister of the devil 
once for all to-day i go to horsewhip him if he is young enough or to pull his nose if he is old enough and old harry be with him in choice of the two zounds sir is it a thing to laugh at rodney bluett was well known to every one who served under him for the mildness of his language and the want of oaths he had and so of course for his self-control and the power of his heart when it did break forth everybody loved him because he never cursed any one at a venture and kept himself very close to facts however hard driven by circumstances so that i was now amazed to hear this young man spoil my pipe with violent emotions have you consulted sir philip i asked it is his place to take up the question what question there is no question the thing is proved my duty is plain sir philip is too old to see to it the squire is a spoony the commodore is not here yet i have spoken to his wife who is a very sweet and wise lady and she agrees with me that it will save the family a world of scandal and perhaps failure of the law for me to take the law into my own hands and thrash this blackguard within an inch of his life to be sure and save her husband from the risk of tackling a desperate man it is most wise on her part but i beg you my dear sir for the sake of your dear uncle and your good mother keep clear of this quarrel you know not the man you have to deal with even if you can thrash him which is no easy business he will shoot you afterwards he is the deadest shot in the county hurrah cried rodney tossing up his hat that entirely settles it come along old fellow and show us the way and not a word to any one now this may seem a very mad resolve for a man of my sense to give in to but whether i turned myself this way or that i could see no chance of bettering it if i refused to go young rodney as i could see by the set of his mouth would go alone and perhaps get killed and then how could any of the family ever look at me again on the other hand if i should go to the colonel or to the general for opinion and to beg them to stop it my interference nine chances to one would only end in giving offence among the superior orders add to this my real desire to square it out with chowne himself after all his persecution and you may be able to forgive me for getting upon horseback after many years of forbearance and with my sugar nipper screwed on to lay hold by the forestay if she should make bad weather also i felt it my duty to take a double-barrel pistol heavily loaded and well primed captain rodney forged ahead so on a real hunting craft that my dapple grey being warranted not to lurch me overboard could not keep in line whatever sail i made upon her my chief rule in life is not to hurry what good ever comes of it people only abuse you and your breath is too short to answer them moreover i felt an uneasy creaking in my bends from dousing forward and then easing backward as a man must do who knows how to ride the captain was wroth with me out of all reason but as he could not find the way to nympton moors without me i was enabled to take my leisure having the surety of overgetting him when the next cross-road came therefore it was late afternoon when we turned into the black fir grove which led up to the house of chowne and rodney bluett clutched the big whip in his hand severely for we had asked at the little inn of which i spoke a long time ago whether the parson was now at home ay that un be said the man with a grin for we did not see the landlady but ye best way not to go nigh un 
Already I seemed not to feel, as I hoped, in the earlier stage of the journey. My thoughts had been very upright for a while, and spirited and delighted. But now I began to look at things from a different point of view almost. It is not man's business to worry his head about righting of wrongs in this world, unless they are done to himself. And if so, revenge is its name, and an ugly one. Long life leads one to forgive, when to carry it on would be troublesome. Through the drip of dying leaves the chill of dull November now began to darken over us, as we turned the corner of Chown's own road, and faced his lonely mansion. The house had a heavy and sullen look, according to my ideas, not receiving light and pleasure of the sun, when possible, Heavy fir trees overhung it, never parting with their weight, and the sunset, when there was any, could not pierce the home oaks. "'What a gloomy and devilish place!' cried Rodney Blewett, beginning to tremble from some unknown influence. "'Upon my soul, if I lived here, I should be hatching plots myself. Or is it the nature of the man that has made the place so horrible?' let us go back said i come back my good sir i conjure you such a man should be left to god to punish in his own good time hark cried rodney pulling up and listening through the gloomy wood that was a woman's scream i am sure is he murdering some more little ones we listened and heard a loud piercing shriek that made our hair stand on end almost so mad was it and so unearthly and then two more of yet wilder agony and after that a long low wailing on on cried rodney bluett you know these paths gallop on davy you go first i answered your horse is fresher i am coming to be sure i am do you think i am frightened well i don't know he replied but i am not ashamed to own that i am Clapping spurs to his horse, he dashed on, and thoroughly miserable as I felt, there was nothing for me but to follow him. In the name of the Lord, what a sight we came on, where the drive sweeps round at the corner of the house, under a dark tree of some sort, and on a garden bench, we discovered the figures of two women, or rather one sat on the bench, the other lay stretched on the ground, with her head cast recklessly back on the ledge, her hair spread in masses over it, and both hands pressed on her eyes and ears to shut out sight and hearing. Her lips were open, and through her white teeth came wails of anguish that would have been shrieks if nature had not failed her. But the elder woman sat upright in scorn of all such weakness, with her gaunt figure drawn like a cable taut, no sign of a tear on her shrunken cheeks, and the whole of her face as numb and cold as an iced figurehead in the Arctic seas, yet no one with knowledge of the human race could doubt which of these two suffered most. We reined up our horses and gazed in terror, for neither of them noticed us, and then we heard from inside the house sounds that made our flesh creep, barking, howling, snapping of teeth, baying, as of a human bloodhound, frothy splutterings of fury, and then smothered yelling her have a gad on now cried a clown running round the end of the house as if he were enjoying it reckon our passin won't bait much more after passin jack be atop of un oh sir oh sir oh for god's sake sir cried the poor lady who had lain on the ground rushing up to us and kneeling and trying to get hold of us you must have come to stop it sir only one hour allow him one hour dear dear sirs for repentance he has not been a good man i know but i am his own wife good kind sirs and if he could only have a little time if it were only half an hour he might he might here a sound of throttling came through a broken window-pane and down she fell insensible 
"'What does it mean?' cried Rodney Bluett. "'Is it murder, madness, or suicide? "'Follow me, Davy. Here I go, anyhow, into the thick of it.' He dashed through the window, and I, with more caution cocking my pistol, followed him while I heard the clown shouting after us, "'Danged fools! Both the e bide outside! Bide outside, I tell e!' oh that we had remained outside i have been through a great deal of horrible sights enough to harden any man and cure him of womanly squeamishness yet never did i behold or dream of anything so awful as the scene that lay before me people were longing to look at it now but none save ourselves durst enter it was chowne's own dining-room all in the dark except where a lamp had been brought in by a trembling footman who ran away knowing that he brought dislike for his master to be strangled by and in the corner now lay his master smothered under a feather-bed yet with his vicious head fetched out in the last rabid struggle to bite there was the black hair black face and black tongue shown by the frothy wainscot or between it and the ticking on the feather-bed lay exhausted and with his mighty frame convulsed so that a child might master him parson jack rambone the strongest man whose strength like all other powers had laid a horrible duty upon him sobbing with all his great heart he lay yet afraid to take his weight off and sweating at every pore with labour peril of his life and agony oh dick dick he said quite softly and between his pantings how many larks have we had together and for me to have to do this to you i am sure you knew me before you died i think you know me now dick oh for god's sake shut your eyes darling dick are you dead are you dead you are the very cleverest fellow ever i came across of you can do it if you like oh dear dick dick my boy do shut your eyes we stood looking at them with no power to go up to them all experience failed us as to what was the proper thing to do till i saw that chowne's face ought to have a napkin over it none had been laid for dinner but i knew where butlers keep them when i had done this parson jack who could not escape from the great black eyes arose and said i thank you sir he staggered so that we had to support him but not a word could we say to him i am bitten in two places if not more he rather gasped then said to us as he laid bare his enormous arms i care not much i will follow my friend or if the lord should please to spare me henceforth i am an altered man and yet for the sake of my family will you heat the kitchen poker End of chapter sixty seven